I want to, want to give you a welcome again, whether you're in the room or joining us online through YouTube or Facebook or a podcast. Welcome to Calvary, where it's our mission to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, I want to invite you next week. How many know what next week is? Oh, I only heard female voices there. <laughs> Guys, you need to know, kids, you need to know, next week is Mother's Day. I encourage you to come back. My wife, Kelly, she's going to be bringing a word next week that is hot and ready. She can't wait to share it. But I said, you got to wait your turn, babe. It's my turn. Then you can go next week. But I encourage you to come back. She's going to give us a message that's relevant for everybody. So uh, plan to come back next week with your mama and uh, bring somebody with you as well. Well, we're in a series that we've entitled Eyewitness. This is week number four, and we're picking up the story of Jesus after he rose from the dead. Uh, after he was resurrected, he had encounters uh, with many, many people, many of his followers. In fact, about 500 followers saw resurrected Jesus during the 40 days he was in this earth before ascending back into heaven. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at one of his disciples, Thomas, and how Jesus met Thomas even in the middle of his doubts and of his questions. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the two followers of Jesus, not two of the remaining 11 closest disciples, but two followers of Jesus who were on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were on the road to Emmaus. Then last week, we looked at another one of Jesus's disciples, Peter. You remember if you were here that Peter, he had all but thrown in the towel and following Jesus, he was going to go back to his life as he knew it. He was going to go back to being a career fisherman. But he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the shores of Galilee. Eerily similar to a, an encounter he had had on those same shores just three years earlier. And once again, Jesus invited him to follow him. And Peter did that. He gave his life for Jesus. Now today we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. You can turn in your Bibles there. Right now, Acts chapter 1, we're going to be looking at an, at an event famously uh, called the Ascension. We're going to be looking at the Ascension today. This would be Jesus' final physical appearance to his disciples. Now, his ministry is not over. It's just going to operate a little bit differently now. Instead of Jesus being stationed here on the earth... He was going to go back to heaven where he would be stationed at the right hand of the Father. But he didn't leave his disciples alone, nor does he leave us alone, by the way. He, he sent the Holy Spirit. In fact, 10 days after he ascended, he was sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in the believers. In fact, we're going to be talking about more of that in the coming weeks ahead. But today, uh, let's read Acts chapter 1 through 11, beginning with verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, now let's stop right there. Uh, this is Luke. Luke is the writer of two books. He kind of has this uh, two-volume set. You've got the Gospel of Luke, and then you've got the Acts of the Apostle. He wrote them both. Okay, so he's saying in the first book, talking about the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus. Now that is a name, don't know if that is a particular individual or a group of people, but that just mean, that means one who God loves. That's what Theophilus, so you guys, you could just name yourself Theophilus, all right? Just call each other Theo the rest of the day. He said, in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise that one day you are going to return just in the same manner that you ascended back to the Father. And Lord, we thank you that you are still having encounters with people today. We open up our ears, our eyes, our hearts to receive from you and your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So resurrected Jesus, he presents himself on numerous occasions to his followers post-resurrection, right? Now, we're not sure how often he showed up. Did he make a bi-monthly appearance? Did he make a weekly appearance? Did he show up every other day? Did he show up to someone every day? We're not sure how many times or how often, but we do know that he did it multiple times. Look again at verse three from Acts chapter one. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. You might wanna underline that in your, in your copy of God's word, by many proofs. Other translations might say infallible truths or unquestionable demonstrations. Many of them, for 40 days, he went about presenting himself with his new and glorious immortal body. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. Why did Jesus feel the need for multiple appearances and proofs and demonstrations? Now, we've all read or heard about people uh, who died and then came back to life. Uh, we, we read about miracles like that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We find it in the Bible, even miracles since the Bible. People have even written about their experiences, how they were died, and, and they talk about their experience post-death, but then they got life, the angels or Jesus sent them back or whatever it might be. Those people died and came back to life as it was. They're back. Hey, I, I'm back. And that's really cool for them. But you didn't need multiple proofs and demonstrations from those people. Those people were just back. I, I died, I got resuscitated, I, I, I'm back, I'm, I'm alive again. For example, in Mark chapter five, you don't have to turn there, but there's a story about a man named Jairus who had a daughter. Jairus' daughter 
died. And so he went to Jesus and said, hey, I need your help. She needs to be healed. As he's asking that, his servants say, hey, no need to bother the master. She's not sick anymore. She has died. And Jesus said, that's all right. We're going to go to your house anyways. And And he raised the daughter back to life. We read another story in the Gospels about one of Jesus' friends named Lazarus. Lazarus was sick, and then he died. And he was buried for about four days until Jesus came to the tomb. In fact, I think it's the King James Version that said, hey, why bother now? By now, Lord, he stinketh. When was the last time you used that word? He stinketh, Lord. By now, he stinketh. But uh, four days into him being dead, Jesus brought Lazarus to new life. Now, both of those examples, Jairus' daughter and Lazarus, you didn't need multiple proofs. Right? They didn't uh, need multiple accounts and, and multiple witnesses. Everybody just knew, okay, the daughter's back. Lazarus is back. Look, there he is. He's back. So why do the followers of Jesus need many proofs? Why do they need multiple demonstration? What, what is different about this time? Well, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, uh, Jairus' daughter and Lazarus and others that we read about today, they are essentially resuscitated. Okay, they are brought back from death to life. Jesus, however, he was not resuscitated he was resurrected. And, and there's something different about being resuscitated versus being resurrected. Jesus is resurrected, meaning he now has a brand new, glorious, immortal body. Now, Isaiah, in chapter 52, prophesied that the Savior's face at crucifixion would be badly bruised, beaten, bloodied, so much so that he says that the Savior's face would be disfigured. You'd hardly be able to recognize him. But Jesus, post-resurrection, his face isn't disfigured at all. By the way, this is another sign, another evidence of a new body. This was more than resuscitation. His face would have still been swollen. You still could have seen some cuts and bruises because he had only died three days earlier, right? No, Jesus had a brand new and glorious body. Now, I want us for a moment, if you've read the accounts of the gospel, think about the times that resurrected Jesus interacted with his followers. People that knew Jesus pre-crucifixion, when they meet Jesus post-resurrection, they don't recognize him. Have you noticed that? They don't recognize Jesus at first. People like Mary Magdalene. We read about her in John chapter 20. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. She didn't recognize him at first. Now, later that day, there are these two followers on the road to Emmaus. We just mentioned them earlier. They were walking on a path from Jerusalem to Emmaus, talking about all the events that have just taken place that week. 
about the trial and the crucifixion and how now all hope is gone. And as they're talking, as they're discussing the events of that week, Jesus, resurrected Jesus, starts walking and talking with them as they're talking about him. But for miles on their journey, they do not recognize Jesus. Until they finally arrive at the house where they were traveling to, Jesus goes from being hosted to being the hoster. I don't think that's a word, but he hosted them from the table, uh, broke the bread, served them in a way saying, I'm the bread of life, by the way. He served them, and in that moment, he opened their spiritual eyes, but he also opened their physical eyes. Oh, it's Jesus. And as soon as they recognized him, Jesus vanished like that. Poof, he's gone. So these two uh, from the road to Emmaus, they travel back to Jerusalem. They scurry back down the path to Jerusalem to tell the followers of Jesus, hey guys, it's true. Mary Magdalene was right. Jesus really is alive. Luke 24 tells us about that and how they, they have seen Jesus with their own eyes. What Mary has said is true. What Peter and John have said is true. And as they are telling the followers of Jesus about, that, about them and about their experience, right in the middle of their conversation, Jesus walks right through the wall and appears to them mid-conversation. And they were, they were frightened. At first, it was startling. I mean, someone has literally just teleported through the wall. It's incredible. We read about it in Luke 24, beginning with verse 36. While they were still talking about this, talking about the two that were on the road to Emmaus, they're still talking about this. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So why would Jesus say this? Why would he say, hey guys, take a look at my hands and my feet? I think this is very interesting because often when you're trying to get someone to recognize you, maybe they've been uh, sleeping for a while or their days are confused, you're trying to get their attention, you would say, hey, don't you recognize, look at my face. Look, it's me. It's Ferguson, here I am. Look at my face. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't say, hey guys, look at my, my face. It is, it is me. He doesn't say that. He says, look at my hands and look at my feet. Now, I think this tells us something about Jesus' face. His face does not look the same. Another example. Last week, we studied Peter. If you'll remember, Peter and the other disciples, they were going fishing again. They were on the, the Sea of Galilee out for a fish. And, and Peter and his buddies, they, they went and they fished all night long when they were supposed to be catching fish. They were professionals after, after all. They should know how to fish. After all night fishing, their nets are empty until someone from the, the shore of Galilee hollers out, hey, fellas, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? Why don't you cast your nets on the right side? And as soon as they did that, there was a great miraculous catch. 
But his own disciples didn't recognize him right away. It wasn't until the disciple John had this aha moment. He's thinking back, you know, you know what? The only other time this has happened was about two or three years ago. We had fished all night, didn't catch a thing, and then someone from the, from the seashore said, hey guys, try again on the other side. You know what that means, fellas? That's Jesus. It's Jesus that's over there on the shore. And so then we read last week how Peter jumps out of the boat and, and goes to Jesus and the others follow. Uh, let's look a little bit about this encounter in John 21, verse 12. Jesus said to them, after this encounter I just described for you, come, let's have some breakfast. And so remember he has a charcoal fire, he takes a fish and he gives them a long John Silver breakfast sandwich for breakfast, right? Come and have breakfast, he said. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. What an interesting tidbit that John gives us here. Why would the disciples even be tempted to ask him this question, who are you? I think it's because he doesn't look the same. He is new and improved. He is walking around in his new and improved and immortal body. Now, Paul talks about our resurrected bodies in 1 Corinthians. You can turn there if you want. It's up to you. 1 Corinthians 15 will be on the screen. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So Paul is likening our burial and resurrection to a seed and to fruit. So think about a, a strawberry seed or an apple seed or whatever it, it might be. That seed does not look like the apple when it's buried. It just looks like a small seed, right? A kernel of wheat, when it is buried, when it is planted, it doesn't look like what it will eventually look like. The plant that comes forth looks different than the seed until God gives it new life. Does that make sense? Okay, let's look at, let's jump down to verse 42 here. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. 
As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we have been like Adam, born of dust, born of the earth. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Man, there's a lot to digest there, isn't there? But this is, this is some really cool stuff going on here. Right now, we are all mortal. We are all like the first man, Adam. Remember, Adam was born from the earth. He was born into dust until God breathed life into the dust and became man. Right now, we are all mortal just like Adam. But at the, at the resurrection, our mortal bodies will put on immortality. And we won't be like Adam anymore. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to have new and glorious resurrected bodies, right? Born from the dust, but reborn from heaven. Jesus, he was the first fruit, right? He was buried as a seed, buried in mortality, but raised to new life in immortality. He was the same, but he was different. How are we going to be? What are we going to look like when we get our resurrected bodies? We're going to be the same, but we're going to be different. You're going to look like you, but you're going to look like a, a different you, a new and improved you. And, and we're going to know everybody there as well. Scripture says we will know and be known when we have our resurrected bodies. Everybody is going to know everybody. As soon as we have our resurrected bodies, you're going to know everybody that's in heaven with you. You're going to know people that you never met before. You're going to know Moses and Elijah. You're going to know Abraham and Sarah. You're going to know Gideon and David. You're going to know Isaiah. You're going to know Peter and John and all the disciples. You're going to know them and they're going to know you. You're going to meet people, by the way, that, that you've never met on this earth, but maybe you had a part of them getting saved. Yeah. Think about that for a moment. How cool would it be when one day that, that person with their resurrected body says, hey, Jesus just told me that I'm here because of your generous giving. We're going to know everybody in heaven. It's going to be so cool. We're going to be able to be like Jesus. We're going to be able to levitate. We're going to be able to just pass through walls. We're going to be able to travel at the speed of thought. We're going to be just like Jesus. Our immortal, our mortal bodies will put on immortality. We're going to be just like Jesus. He's the prototype. He was the first one to receive new life. And he's the one that we're all going to be like. Hey, as good looking as you are right now. There's a new and improved you coming. It's going to get even better. Can you believe that? It's going to be even better. Now, liberal theologians, when I say that word, I'm not talking politics. Uh, liberal theologians, they dismiss the resurrection that Jesus may have been resuscitated. But we know that's not the case at all, is it? If so, they would have known, his early followers, his disciples, they would have known that it was him. Oh yeah, that's Jesus, I can tell. I know that there's bruises and cuts. His face is a little swollen, but that's definitely Jesus. There'd have been no doubt. But what they saw was a resurrected Jesus. 
They needed extra proof. That's why they needed multiple proofs. They needed to see the supernatural transformation that took place. And it took them a while to digest all that they were seeing in front of them. And honestly, without it, their faith would have been fragile. Paul said this earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And here's the linchpin. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. So without Christ being raised to new life, Paul is saying our faith is empty and useless. The entire message, the entire gospel hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. It hinges on his resurrected body. So if, if, if you're a disciple back then, if you're going to preach the resurrection, if you're going to lay down your life for the resurrection, you're going to need to see it and believe it. You're going to need to know that you know that you know. If I'm going to lay down my life for this man, I need to know for sure. And that's why Jesus did it for 40 days. He went around proving once and for all, again and again, it is me. It's the new and proved me, but it is me. It is resurrected Jesus. He gave them multiple, infall infallible, unquestionable proofs that he was alive again. Now listen, one proof would have been nice, right? But many proofs in front of hundreds of people would have been overwhelming and convincing evidence. It would have been virtually impossible to disprove the resurrection. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. How cool would it have been to see new and improved resurrected Jesus? Well, guess what? One day we're gonna get to see him. It's gonna be a great day too. He really died, he was really buried, but then he came forth again New and improved, like a, a plant, a seed bursting forth, he resurrected with a new and glorious body. Aren't you glad that he wasn't just resuscitated, but he was resurrected? Yeah. Come on, that's good news right there. Because of the resurrection, we have new life too. All right, that was worth the price of admission just there, but we're not done. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Verse four, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, from John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus, he reveals himself to the disciples for 40 days. He talks more about the kingdom of God. Then he tells them, don't stay in Galilee. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago when he was resurrected, he told Mary to make sure to tell the disciples, go to Galilee, I'm gonna meet them there. 
And then last week we read the encounter that he had with Peter and the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, right there on the shore. So, so he sent them to Galilee. Now he says, now, don't stay in Galilee. Actually, guys, go back to Jerusalem. Wait there because I have something special that I want to give you in Jerusalem. Because he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And he even referred, he's like, hey, fellas, remember, over the last few years, I've been telling you, John, my cousin, has been baptizing with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm going to do something incredible in you and through you. So go wait in Jerusalem for that gift. Next verse, verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, we hear all about that baptism stuff, all about that Holy Spirit stuff, but we want to keep talking about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth right here, okay? Uh, is now the time. They've witnessed resurrected Jesus. They've seen his glorious, immortal body. They've seen him teleport through walls and suddenly appear and vanish and appear again. So uh, he's indestructible now. This must be the time. The time is now. Now he's going to overthrow the Roman occupiers. He's finally going to take over and make things right in the world. Is now the time, Lord? Because we're ready. We're ready. Here's his response. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, it's not on you to understand the exact time when the kingdom of heaven is gonna be fully realized physically on the earth. So, let's get back to what I said about the Holy Spirit, okay guys? Because before I come back physically and establish my kingdom on the earth, you are going to go spread the good news of the kingdom to the ends of the world. And you're gonna do it, not on your own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, you will receive power to be a witness. The Greek word there for witness, you know what it means? It can be interchanged with martyr. You're gonna be my witness. You're gonna be a martyr for him. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you are full of him, you have the kind of power within you from Jesus that goes beyond your own power. The kind of power that gives you so much boldness that you are willing to lay down your life for Jesus. I'm willing to be a witness even if I have to be a martyr. That's the kind of boldness that comes when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are not given the gift of the Spirit. We are not filled with the Spirit so we can say, praise God, I'm full. Now I get to bask in the presence of the Spirit. Isn't this wonderful? It just feels so good. It feels so right. I am just so full. That's not why he has given us the Holy Spirit. Now, th that is a good feeling. It feels good to have the presence of the Spirit of God living and dwelling in us. That is wonderful, but we are filled for another purpose. 
The Spirit enables us and empowers us for ministry. He empowers us to be witnesses, to go into all the world and tell everybody about Jesus. But unfortunately, there's a whole lot of Christians walking around powerless. Now, maybe they're powerless because they're nonchalant or they're indifferent. Maybe they have a blasé attitude that says, well, yeah, I guess it's okay that, that people hear about Jesus. I, I want people to know about Jesus, but I just don't want to have to go out of my way to tell them. I mean, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. They'll, they'll find Jesus. They have an indifferent kind of attitude. Listen, we don't want to have that kind of attitude. Jesus has given us the responsibility to tell the world about him. For some people, you are the only Bible they'll ever read. For some people, you are the only Jesus that they will ever meet, that they will ever see. Some, maybe they're powerless because of their indifference. Others, maybe they're powerless because they're afraid, they're gripped with fear. Maybe they have a fear of rejection. What are people gonna think about me if they know that I love Jesus? How are people gonna respond if they know about my faith in Jesus Christ? What is the potential for repercussions here? They figure, well, most people, they just wanna be left alone. You don't have to go spread the gospel. You don't have to just be a good person. We recently had a company do some research for us, and here's one of the things that we found out from the research. 57% of people within 10 miles of this church building are not actively participating in any faith at all, 57%. Now, of the remaining 43%, only 9% are participating in their faith through an evangelical church. That's a church similar to ours, a, a church that believes in the full measure of God's word, that, that believes in spreading the good news of the gospel. Only 9%. Now, some people, they're, they're, because there's so many people that are not open to it, they're gripped by fear. They don't want to have to deal with the potential fallout. After all, people aren't as open to Jesus and the Bible anymore. It's viewed more as outdated and irrelevant and archaic, so they just keep quiet about their faith in Jesus. But listen, despite any persecution that comes our way, we are called to shine the light. And listen, something as wonderful as salvation through Jesus Christ, it should compel us to want to tell others about Jesus. We should want to go to Jerusalem. We should want to go to Judea and Samaria. We should want to go to the ends of the world and tell others about Jesus. What does that mean? We should want to tell people right here across the street and people across the world. People that live close to us, people that don't live close to us. People who look like us and act like us. And we want to tell people who don't look like us and don't act like us. We want to tell everybody about Jesus. And here's what happens. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you move from being worried about it to not being worried at all about it. In fact, excited to see what the Holy Spirit might do through you. You move from dreading about sharing your faith you move from being dreaded and, and, and overthinking what it's going to look like to I can't wait to see what God is going to do through me. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, it's not us. It's him inside of us. 
So Jesus, he, he tells his disciples and he tells us today, be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you will be my witnesses. Amen. Then he goes on in verse nine. And we had, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Imagine that scene on that hillside. Jesus gave them his final words, his final instructions, and then he starts just defying gravity. He just starts levitating. He just starts rising right in front of them. By the way, this is another cool feature about our new and resurrected bodies. You can just, you can just lift, you can levitate. And I'm sure as the disciples are standing there, they are, they are overwhelmed. What am I seeing? What am I witnessing? They're probably shell-shocked in the moment. And as they're gazing up into heaven, two men in white robes, probably two angels, they appear and say, hey guys, why are you standing around here? This same Jesus that just left, he's coming back again. Don't worry about it. So in the meantime, it's time for you to get to work. It's time for you to do what Jesus just told you to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus said, get filled so you can go share. Go tell everyone about me and that I love them. to believe I have faith that you will do great it's my time to go but before I
to tell everybody about Jesus. See, we have been given a divine assignment. Every single one of us have been given a divine assignment from Jesus himself. It's not an assignment just for the paid staff, the pastors, or the evangelists, or the missionaries. We've all been given the assignment, a mandate from Jesus to tell others about him. But along with that assignment, he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish it. And that's why we exist as a church. That's why we are here. Yes, we we come, we worship together, we encourage one another. But at the end of the day, we are here to go and tell others about Jesus. His last command should be our first concern. Jesus' last words should be our highest priority. And see, when you've had an encounter with resurrected Jesus, you're willing to be a witness for him. You're willing to pay the cost and even give your life for him. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I want to give you an invitation to meet this Jesus we've been talking about. This same Jesus who revealed himself, who gave many convincing proofs to his followers. Did you know that he is still making appearances today? He wants to reveal himself to you. So if you find yourself in this place today, like a couple of did earlier in the first service, far from God, you know about him, maybe you believe in him and After hearing the word go forth, you recognize your need for this Jesus. Jesus said in the book of John, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to salvation. No one gets into heaven. No one comes to the heavenly father except through me. Listen, he didn't say that to be mean. He's actually very loving because he did the hard part. He laid down his life for you. And here's the deal. We just read about our immortal bodies. Did you know that you aren't just a body made of dust, made from the earth that will cease to exist when you die? When you die, you will be in one of two places. The real you, the eternal you, the you that will live on forever will either live on forever in hell or in heaven. And so listen, we want to give you the opportunity right now to meet this Jesus. 
He did the hard part. He laid down his life. All we have to do is believe in him and accept this free gift of salvation, the free gift of grace. So I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. We're going to say this prayer together out loud in just a moment. And as we say this prayer, if you mean it in your heart, you're initiating, you're beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's going to come into your life. He's going to give you a brand new start. So let's do this. Everybody out loud say this. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you lived. I believe you died. I believe you lived again.